you are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is of knives and night blooms. And I just want to let you know that The Hanging Market was originally called The Floating Market until I reread uh, Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere for the first time in 15 years and realised I'd inadvertently stolen it. Uh, so yes, if there is a hanging market somewhere in a different work of speculative fiction, please don't tell me. <laughs> so we are back to chapter three, Aboard the Silken Hair, part two. Calix had left her interrogation of the youngest of the assassins for last. He was clearly an adult, long past the long-legged, grew-too-fast stage of the teen years but young enough that she should be worried about her daughter making eyes at him. Was he an apprentice, perhaps, new to his craft? That would explain the pointed expression that Icaros the Hand exchanged with the younger man as Calix removed him from the cabin. Like the others, Dio Taurus was compliant. He had a slightly glazed look about his eyes, less resentful than his older companions. How did you come to serve the god of death? she asked him, as they stood together on the deck. The young man didn't flinch when she used the word death. Odd. That's a hard question, he slurred. Calix frowned. Answering her direct questions with anything less than the absolute truth was unusual under a bond thread as powerful as this one. What do you mean by that? It's not, I just... Huh. Dio's eyes fixed on a point up ahead. We're here, the hanging market. The silken hair had rounded a curve in the river ahead. Enough to make the market visible. You can't miss it, Mardi Marenzi had said about the hanging market. That much was true. The crew of the barge called to each other, slowing their smooth glide through the water. Calix felt the pulse of them through the threads that connected them lightly to her. They were doing their jobs, so the compulsion charm was barely needed. There were fewer wild creatures in the water here. The living occupants of the river divine must prefer to avoid the larger settlements. It was daylight, and yet the hanging market blazed like a full moon in darkness. As they approached, Calix could see canvas balloons the size of houses, coloured like wildflowers and bobbing high above the water. There were platforms covered in draped fabrics, like the most elegant tree houses and blanket forts and desert caravans. Staircases of wire and beads, winding upwards impossibly high, connecting what should be an unstable collection of surfaces. She could see parasols and wings, some attached to people and some to tables. Even at a distance, the hanging market smelled of good food and magic. So, this country is not such a culture-deprived backwater as we have heard. On any other day, she might have enjoyed playing tourist. 
For a moment, Calix was fascinated enough to all but forget the prisoner at her side. Have you been there before? she asked, when his awkward shuffling reminded her. I've been everywhere on the river, said Dio, a boy's boast. I see. She turned back towards the cabins. He scuttled after her so completely under her thrall, she didn't even have to tell him to follow. I need a word with your colleagues, she said. I'm not, actually, he blurted. A priest of death, at all. I think I'm here by mistake. I should have told you before, sorry. Calix stopped short. She whirled around, staring at him. There was no point in accusing him of a lie, not when the word death came so easily to his tongue. The young man looked miserable, his whole face twisted up. Why did it take you so long to tell me that? she demanded. What was wrong with her magic? He should have been tripping over himself to spill all his secrets. Even lying by omission was rare once the bond of obligation took hold. Then again, if he was not a servant of death, he shouldn't have been caught up in this particular spell in the first place. But no, Calix could feel the strength of the spell of the fierce golden threads that bound the four to her service. She had felt four of them approaching, hadn't she? Or had she merely set her trap for four, because that was the number she'd been told to expect? I didn't like not telling you, Dio said, tripping over his tongue. That's why I'm telling you now. Not one of them had told her. It had been hours. They must have been fighting the magic every step of the way, which... She expected, from three powerful servants of a god who demanded their service elsewhere, if this young man was nothing from nowhere, how on earth had he fought the magic so hard? Calix caught Dio by the wrist and dragged him along the deck. They met her daughter at the door of the cabin, holding a water tray. Nimue, Calix said sharply. Her daughter jolted. Her eyes went straight to Dio and she blushed. Mother, what do you think you're doing? Bringing the prisoners water, said the girl huffily. At sixteen years old, she had no true sense of her own mortality. Are you planning to drown them? Calix suggested with a sarcastic lilt. It's been a while since the last time you said I could help. I want to help. It's my cabin. Nimue wanted another peek at the prisoners, more like. Calix sighed. This country might treat these people as if their acts are excused on religious grounds. But they are killers, she reminded her daughter. Hardened, shameless, murderers. You think I want you to spend a minute more in their company than is necessary, even with the bond protecting you from harm at their hands? It's just water, Nimue protested. You will protect my daughter as if her body is mine. Calix snapped to Dio, adding a pulse of compulsion to the thread binding them. He nodded, looking eager to serve. It'd be my honour. Damn it, you sounded exactly like he meant it. This isn't a game, Calix declared to her daughter before she entered the cabin.
This is our survival. Act accordingly. When Calix returned Dio to the cabin, all three of the assassins, the real assassins, were in urgent conversation with each other, crowded on the bed, with the retied pink ribbons still holding them in place. Three pairs of wary eyes turned upon her, and then softened, as if her presence reminded them how much they wanted to please her, serve her, protect her. She had always hated the effect of obligation spells when she was in training at the House of Flowers, and even later when she had her own household within the Palace of the Imperium. The false smiles, the warm expressions, mixed with antipathy and strain. By the time she lost her first husband, Calix had not only come to accept it, but embrace that connection with others. Life in a palace meant you could trust no one unless they were ensorcelled to serve your interests. Once you'd seen a friend poisoned before your eyes, you learned the necessity of such precautions. The boy is not one of ours, Icaros said, his deep voice filling the room. I'm not a boy, Dio said crossly. They all ignored him. So Icaros was the spokesman. Did that mean he was the best diplomat of the bunch? Or did it mean they thought he was the one of them Calix was most likely to respect? Did the two women defer to him because he was a man? It was so hard in an unfamiliar country to know what was culturally ingrained and what was specific to personality. I know that now, Calix said, waving a hand at Dio, who obediently returned to the bed. How did he come to be part of this? You cursed us said Valeria, raising her eyebrows. Don't you know? Calix had marked this woman down earlier as the priest most likely to fight her control, which meant, of course, she was probably not the most dangerous in the room. Too obvious. My informant told me that there were four of you hired to kill me, Calix told them all. Four seals, four contracts. All three of the priests went still for a moment. Fuck, said Icaros, shaking his head. Four! Mardi looked pained. This is an abomination, she said to Galax. It should never have happened. There are systems in place. Once one of us takes the seal, there's no way for even one more priest to be. Icaros placed a hand on her knee to quiet her from spilling all their secrets. He met Calix's eyes. If there was a fourth expected at that tea house, we don't know what happened to them, he told her. She felt the pulse of honesty through the threads that bound them. We can all guess who it is, Valeria said sourly. There aren't many candidates left alive. Mardi let out a small hiss from between her teeth. The threads tightened around them. They all flinched at the tug of it. Stop dissembling, said Calix. Speak the truth, and we will get through this as efficiently as possible. Servants of the Black Raven are solitary, said Icaros. That is our nature. 
there were at last count over a dozen active in this country. But if we worked in teams... He hesitated, spread his hands wide. These are the partners I would choose. Ah, said Marty, he loves us. Valeria pulled a face. If they chose all three of us, it's not random, she added. We had a fourth, but he died last year. Calix noticed Marty's face drop slightly. Her hand twitched, the one on which she wore a wedding band. There's another, Icarus volunteered, but he's generally late to things. Not surprising he managed to miss out on this party. Who is he? Calix pressed. Her informant had not told her any details about the four closing in on her, only that they were all dangerous and their skin would be marked by the sign of a scythe. Icarus did not appear to hesitate. The bow. Calix's eyes flicked to Dio. Really not me, he assured her. I'm rubbish at archery. I wonder what can have happened to him, Calix said. She eyed the four of them, then cast an untangling rune in the air. If there was still one priest of death at large on the River Divine, contracted to kill her, this bow, then she would need to give the others as much physical freedom as possible so that they might protect her from his arrows. She knew she could trust them with her safety. They had no choice in the matter. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. We'll be back next week with Chapter 4 of The Hanging Market. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. This month, for example, um, people at a very high tier of my Patreon are getting paperbacks posted to them of House Perilous, my new Sparks and Filters book, uh, which will be released in April. I'll see you next week.